this morning, whether you're joining us on the radio or you're joining us in house or you're joining us here in the house of worship at here in Church of the Nazarene, uh, it is, it, I'm grateful to see you and I'm grateful to know that you're there. This morning we're going to be talking about the nature of the Ten Commandments, but it's really going to roll into the New Testament. If you're one who likes to follow along in the Word, you're welcome to go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be there in a little while. Um, we'll be talking about a few things before we get there, but as we roll toward Matthew chapter 5, this morning we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments and I'm going to ask ask you something that is starting our conversation, and I want to be careful in that when I ask it, please don't be so um, turned off by the question that you disengage from the critical thought I'm asking you to participate in. The Ten Commandments are kind of depressing, aren't they? You ever thought about them? Like, they're kind of depressing. And it's not that the rules that that are coming from the Ten Commandments are depressing. I think one of the things that's the most depressing is that they had to be made. Have you ever seen rules that's like depressing, that these rules had to be put out there? You see them and you realize, like, these rules were written for a reason. And it's because somebody didn't know better. I mean, you think for a moment, like, what rules of the Ten Commandments are depressing that God had to decide, I'm going to have this moment where I bring Moses up on the mountain, and I'm going to give him the ways to live, the secrets to a good life, and one of those things I'm going to unveil to them is this, you should not kill each other. Come on. You know what I mean? Like, that's where we were as a people that like, you know what? we got to start back at the basis of life and say, you should not kill each other. You should not lie to each other. You should not steal things from each other. You know what I mean? Like, those sorts of things that we would think are very, very common. Now, in a little bit of of a separate conversation that we can have somewhere down the road, I think there's a whole lot of things that we take for granted. But we take them for granted because things like the Ten Commandments have been so impregnated and instilled in your heart and mind that you take them as normal. Consider for just a moment what happens when you remove all biblical, moral, or ethic from your life. Don't consider it too long because it is way more depressing. You operate in such a way, and and I operate in such a way this morning, that the words, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do, do not lie, those sorts of things, they're just given. You know, well, they're given because the rules were given to us a long time ago. But it's still very, very sad that God created humanity and not really too far in the scheme of all of the humanity's story, not too far down the story of humanity, God's like, ho, 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 like, y'all got to stop for just a minute and let me give you the rules for life, okay? And in the rules for life are things as simple as y'all need to stop killing each other and don't lie to each other and don't... Don't be adulterous and and, and don't steal, you know, those sorts of things. It's very, very depressing that they're there. Now, would you say this morning that we have done a good job in no longer having to worry about the, the unnecessary rules of life? I would suggest to you this morning, no, we have not, and I have proof and evidence of such. How many of you have seen the warning labels that come on various things in your life? One of the great memes I saw not long ago was a statement that said, when I was a kid, you could go to your local auto parts store and buy a book that would teach you how to rebuild an entire transmission. Today, the owner's manual says, do not drink the battery fluid. We are not the same. You know what I mean? Like, not the same type of people here. Uh, There's a few more that are a little bit more fun. Uh, This one came on a box for an iron, and the sign says, if you're on the radio, it says, do not iron, we're all wearing the shirt. Why in the world does that need to be put on a, I would think, there's some of this, y'all, like, if we believe in the principles, and there are some principles that are, that are, like, of the evolutionary principles that are obvious to see around us of, like, how things learn and adapt. There are some things of evolution, I feel like, just, just let nature happen. 
You know what I mean? Like, if you don't know not to iron a shirt with it on, then you probably should do it one time and you'll learn your lesson and you move on. That's a good thing, right? So don't iron your shirt while you're wearing it. Another one is a wheelbarrow, and the, the label on the wheelbarrow says, not intended for highway use. Hey, look, I was in college for a while, and I have a picture of what this looks like. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I, I can, this had, this got developed from some kids in college. That's what happened right there. There's another one of a stroller, and on the stroller it says, remove child before folding. Are you kidding me? You know, y'all know my truck when I get out of it every day. It says, check for child in the back seat. It's for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's for a reason. The next one. This was found on a package of rat poison. It says, has been found to cause cancer in lab mice. Probably the reason for the poison, okay? Now here's the last one that some of you are gonna, can't believe I put it up there, but I thought it was really, really funny. Warning on a thermometer. Once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. Let nature do its thing, y'all. Take the labels off, all right? Let it happen, okay? When you see these things, there are those rules that you're like, why in the world did we create rules like this? How in the world did it happen? And the reality is, it happened because sometimes we're dumb, amen? Yeah. Folks, I have shut my own hand in a car door. You know what I mean? Like, I have hit my own thumb with a hammer. You know, like, I'm part of the reason that there have to be stupid rules out there is because we do these things sometimes. And when we do them, unfortunately, because of the litigious society we live in, people feel necessary to make rules. If you've ever been in a building and there are silly rules posted, the rules are there because someone has done something silly and now there's a rule, okay? I have to go back and tell you, one of the things I'm quite proud of is when I was in college, I was the reason for creating a new rule. Now, at the university I graduated from, you are not allowed to repeat off the side of buildings. There was not a rule when I got there, but now there is, okay? So no more tying up ropes and shimmying down the buildings because now that's against the rules. So there's some of those rules are created because somebody did something and you're like, oh my gracious, why? So we have to create these very, very simple rules. Now, the goods and the bads of making the rules that we've had is that it makes things easy for us. Isn't life easy when you just have like some black and white rules that you have to play by? I mean, really, it is easy because it removes the thought from having to go through life because you just look for a simple code or an edict or a statute that says, no, no, this is how we're supposed to do this. So they're like, then we do that. The downside of this is, though, when you have those simple, simple rules, it sometimes removes or creates this, this black and white understanding, but it removes the people that... Um, think for themselves from the gene pool, so to speak. If, if you think and if you process sometimes, if you start relying on the rules that are printed, then it takes away the need for common sense. Like, I, I don't think there needs to be a sign on every car door in America that says, be careful, don't shut your fingers in this. But I've done it. You know what I mean? Like, I've done that, but I don't think that means that we need to have this, this rule that's there. The problem when we start creating all of those rules is that sometimes when we see all of those rules, we assume that as long as we're operating in such a way that doesn't infringe on those rules, then we're okay. So here's my question for you. I said earlier that the Ten Commandments are a bit depressing. The most depressing part of the Ten Commandments is that it was necessary. And then we'll swing a little bit further and say the more depressing part of it is that people thought that's where it ended. Well, you know, as long as I don't kill, as long as I don't steal, as long as I don't you know, take someone else's wife or husband, those sorts of things, as long as I don't lie, then I'll be okay. And, and so it creates this like, as long as I don't cross this line and I stay right here, I'm okay. But just like shooting a free throw in a basketball game, where do you stand when you have a free throw line? 
with your toes practically on it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what rules oftentimes create is a need to stand right at the edge of it and just make sure I'm not just barely going over it. Jesus speaks into this and he talks about how, you know what? The Ten Commandments are incomplete in their desires for humanity. They're incomplete in, in, in like what God really wanted from this. It's almost as if, listen, you've had the Ten Commandments and I need you to know that like by living to that line, you are missing the mark on the bigger picture of what God was asking you to do. Matthew chapter 5 is where our text is, and this is where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount has a bit of an interaction with and referencing the things that have taken place or have been stated within the Ten Commandments. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. If you're in-house this morning, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the Word. We'll read this first portion together, and then we'll have a seat, and we'll continue to talk for a little while. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, is a lectionary text for the morning. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a statement of contempt, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of fire and of hell. Y'all, we come before you this morning reading a passage that speaks toward the Ten Commandments, not in error or that they shouldn't be there, but that they are incomplete in nature. As we talk about the incompleteness of the Ten Commandments and how they call us to live life, would you challenge us through your Holy Spirit this morning? God, it is our prayer that we would not spend time necessarily in the words of, of human words, but that your Holy Spirit would compel, would speak, and then would convict us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. We have built a life around not crossing certain lines. And some of those lines are, are posted in real lines, and some of those lines are assumed lines. How many of you have been on a highway before, and you understand that though the speed limit is posted at maybe 70 miles an hour, there's a little bit of a, of a gray area in that, that you're probably not going to get pulled over. Well, I've even heard the phrase stated, uh, eight is fine and nine you're mine. You ever heard that one? It was like eight miles an hour over, you can get away with. Nine miles an hour over, you're getting a ticket. You know? So whether you, you, know, you think about the 70 miles an hour and you think, well, hey, look, I can probably get away with the 75 or whatever, you still have a line there, right? That you're like, but I, I don't need to go 80, but I can probably get away with 75. And so you drive that way sometimes. Not all of you, I understand. Some of you in a 70 mile an hour zone are going 35 and you are dangerous to us all, okay? Whole nother sermon. But in the, in the way going down the road, like you have that line that's like, I don't need to cross that line. And then you hit towns, I don't know, like Dover. <laughs> what is a speeding ticket in Dover if it says 30 miles an hour? 30.1. You understand? Like 30.1, it's $250. That's what's coming. I don't know how much it is today, but I happened to be with a pastor 10 years ago, and it was $225 15 years ago. All right? So like when you think about like the rules, but let me tell you this, I'm not faulting towns that, like Dover that have a bit of a reputation for 31 and a 30. I'm not faulting them whatsoever, because in their defense, what does the sign say? 30. At 31, are you speeding? At 31, do you have any right to argue with that officer because he pulls you over at 31? Zero right. I don't care what you think you've gotten away with in other places going 75 and a 70. The fact that you are going over the posted speed limit, and they post it all over the place, all right? It's the 30, the 35, and the 45. The fact you're going one mile an hour over, when they pull you over, your response is, I'm sorry. That's it. Not, you're getting me 31 and a 30? Yep, because it says 30. Anything over is speeding. Amen? 
I hear you. That's right. I don't want to talk about it this morning, but that's the way it is. Okay. But we like to drive up to that line, right? And it's not just when we become adults. I mean, come on. When you were kids in the back seat, or maybe you have kids this morning, and the kids start picking at each other in the back seat, how many of you have looked back in the back? And I know some of you, you parent differently from your kids because you say to your kids, stop it, don't touch each other, those sorts of things. How many of your parents drove down the road with a wooden spoon or a fly swatter stuck in the driver's console? You know what I mean? And like, and if they came back with a wooden spoon or a fly swatter, they didn't even care what they were hitting. It was just general flopping the thing around back there, whipping it whatever it was, you know? Like it just, whatever got smacked, got smacked. And that's part of it, you know? In, in the world today, whether it was that way or this way, you have this rule. Do not touch your brother again. And so what do you do? I'm not touching you. I'm not touching. I'm not touching, you know, and it's like, oh my gracious, we love to live to the line. And yet Jesus is saying in that, we do this in words as well. This will be my, my last one. You know how we've coined phrases to get away with not saying the words we shouldn't say? Many of you are familiar with the phrase dadgummit. You've heard somebody say dadgummit? Take the first two letters of the first word and replace them with the first two letters of the second word and vice versa, second to first. And what have you said? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> Especially not in the church. But some of you are like, oh my goodness, I've been doing that. Dead gummit. I mean, you know, that's where you've been. You've been saying that. Why do you think we say the word when something bad happens? Shoot. Has nothing to do with pulling the trigger and shooting something. It's a getaway from another word. Shall I go on? I'm just saying, we have words that we've replaced so that we can stand on that line and say something without saying it. And we're like, that's how we exist. We have adopted in so many ways this way of saying like, I can get away with this. And what's happening is it doesn't just happen in that way because we've heard the Ten Commandments and then we hear things like, you should not murder. Yeah, but it doesn't say I shouldn't give them a good throttling. It doesn't say... Do not murder does not say that I shouldn't think in my head about what I would do. Sometimes we, we skate by with this, if I weren't a Christian. And then we think about this extravagant thing that we would do. You understand? what? And then we, we come up with this whole scheme of what we would do. And Jesus is saying like, what are you doing? I'm not going to have adultery, but I don't mind having a little bit of fun in the process. You understand? Like, it's okay to flirt or it's okay to be flirted with, but I'm not going to step across that line and, and, and be one who commits adultery, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to commit adultery, but looking at these pictures doesn't necessarily mean I'm committing adultery because commit adultery, I mean, we know what that act is. And th this is not that. So it's not across the line. I'm just going to look at these things, right? And we do these things and we justify the stuff in our head and for some reason, we act like God is okay with it. That like, well, because I didn't murder them, okay? Because I didn't commit adultery, because I didn't do the final whatever act of adultery is, as we oftentimes suppose it to be. But like, if, as long as I didn't do that one thing, then like, I'm still okay because I'm still on this side of the line. And Jesus is stepping back into this and telling them like, it's not about whether or not you cross the line. The fact that you're trying to, the fact you're trying to live in such a way that you can stand on the free throw line and still be good in life is a problem. Amen. That's not what the intent of all of this was. Jesus looks back at them and starts talking about them about, you know, this is not necessarily about not crossing this line, folks. This is about controlling your mind. This is about keeping your mind from going down the roads that lead to destruction, not just committing the destruction, but allowing your minds to entertain the destruction in such a way that you come up with plans for the destruction or that you daydream or better yet, you romanticize the destruction, not allowing your minds to go down that direction because... One of the things that we need to differentiate, I've had people ask me for years, youth ministry and lead pastor as well, 
is it wrong for me to have a, an, an impulsive thought or to be tempted? And I don't see biblically where the impulse or the thought or what I would call the seed of evil trying to sprout you know, root in your life, th those initial thoughts that come into your head. I mean, when something happens and you, you bristle up and you get angry, or when something happens and you, you recognize someone else as being attractive, to, to, for the initial thought to be in your head, I cannot concede, is sinful in nature for the initial thought because that is the nature of how evil works to begin to cause sin and cause separation. It is how you handle that thought that matters. You're saying, when you get that thought in your head or that, that maliciousness, that anger, that flirting, whatever it is, and, and you start to, to walk toward that line and you know where the line is over there and you start thinking about how close you can get to that line without actually going across the line, that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the problem. You're allowing your mind to go. Folks, one of the most difficult things, well, we read in the Bible, one of the most difficult things to control is the tongue. But the tongue is directly guided by the mind. Amen? That's where it flows from. So let's go back even more so than in your mouth and what you speak is to control like where your thoughts go. So when you start thinking about the, the things that you may have been maybe rationalizing or thinking in your head that you have convinced yourself like this is okay because it doesn't cross that line, Jesus is speaking into this. And I wonder this morning, like as, as we've had some time to engage in this and maybe struggle with it a bit, I'm going to ask the question like, what are your initial knee-jerk thoughts? And when I say initial knee-jerk thoughts, let's not boil it down to that. Where has the Holy Spirit already begun prodding and poking you? You know what? I gotta be careful here. Just because I haven't murdered someone doesn't mean like I'm still good, you know? And if, if God wants me to be, to live a holy life, then to live a holy life doesn't mean that I can do whatever I want as long as that person doesn't die, you know? It means like, well, then how will I handle the way I think of them? And maybe this morning it is not just the, the way you handle and you think of someone else, but it's the way that you handle and you deal with. You know, there's, one, there's one of the commandments that is kind of a build on, on the other. We have do not steal, but we also have do not covet. One leads into the other. Amen? You, you steal something because you initially coveted and wanted it. Or you wanted something else, and so you steal this so that you can get that. I mean, there's still a, a coveting and stealing are kind of stacked on top of each other. And so maybe even within this, and you're thinking about the simple rules that I would never, I would never steal that vehicle from someone else or that, you know, that thing or that asset or whatever. That, I would never steal that from them. But I'm going to tell you what, like, I really want it. You know, like at, a, at a point that like I even, I even want that more so than I want them to have it. I mean, Jesus is speaking into this saying like, folks, when someone else has something that you might covet, is your response to covet it or to be excited for them to be able to experience it. You understand, like, Jesus is excited not to call anyone out, but had some folks even arrive at church this morning. It's a great analogy. And they were talking about having been on vacation. You know, like, the beautiful things they'd seen and all, like, you think about, like, having that experience. And, like, when you hear someone talk about the good fortune or the, the good things in their life, is your response when you hear of them to be covetous of those things and wish you had those things? Or is it to truly rejoice in, man, I'm... I'm, it is awesome that you got to do that. And if you find yourself in the latter or in the, in the former and not in the latter, then like, that's where this is. It's not just, it's that we should be genuinely happy for someone else when they have succeeded and, and, and they have some symbol of success in their life. Like, I'm excited for them. I, I'm not mad at them for having it and I don't. I'm grateful that they have succeeded in that way. That's what God is calling us to. It is this next step of, of not just saying like, I'm not going to, to covet or steal, but like, I'm not going to lie. And when I say I'm not going to lie, like, I'm not even going to mislead you. You know, like, it's difficult sometimes to navigate some of these things. But, like, to be called into question and say, like, 
I want to make sure that the way we tell things is accurate and not misleading. That is a place we find ourselves often. How do you tell the story when, so, when, when you have seen something happen and you tell someone about that happening? You know, the way that you, the inflection in, in, in the way that your voice works and the words that you choose, your vocabulary, and the, the way you even enunciate those words will bring a drastic difference to how that person hears the story. Biblically, this is the same. You hear me reference this from time to time. Um, there's a man who as soon uh, as Jesus dies on the cross, the temple curtain is torn, even though he has no idea about that, but it's in the same time frame of what's going on. And when it happens, that man says, truly, this was the Son of God. Have you ever read that from two different perspectives? One is, he's in awe going, that was the Son of God and we killed him. Or he sees Jesus die on a cross like a common criminal and he goes, Surely that was the Son of God. I mean, really, the way you tell stories, it's not just, did I lie? But did I tell the story in such a way to lead you to think something that wasn't actually happening? Because I can, I can manipulate that. You understand what? You can manipulate the way you tell something just by the inflammatory or the deflammatory words that you use to misrepresent what actually happened. I mean, we do these things when it comes to like, how do we handle the stories of, or the, the rules of, of do not lie. One of the greatest things we need to circle back to in this is ultimately what we're learning to control is not just not crossing that line, but we're learning to control thought. I mean, ultimately, when we read the Bible, it is thoughts that are born that, are, that, that bring about the creation of things. Uh, sin only is acted, or act, and the act of sin is only taking place when thoughts bring seed to that. Uh, in the same way, uh, God creates all of the earth and all of mankind by speaking them into existence, which means they were an original thought or idea to speak those things into, into an existence. Jesus is bringing us into this place of saying, not what can I get away with, but like, there was a there was a, a funny uh, series back in the 90s. Uh, Christians all wore a certain type of bracelet. I'm curious for those of you that were maybe teenagers or young adults in the 90s, can you remember the bracelets that became super, super popular and everybody wore them? Had a little clasp on them and the, the letters, there were four letters, in, uh, not engraved, but uh, like stitched in the bracelet. What were those? WWJD, I'm so glad. See, y'all are from my, 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 this is my people, you know? So like, we grew up in the same time frame. So you had, what does that stand for? What would Jesus, came from the 1990s, right? No. Came from the 1900s. A guy wrote a book, let me make sure I give him proper uh, uh, credit. Charles Sheldon wrote a book, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do in the 1900s? And in the early 1900s, it became a bit of a fad of asking that question of like, what would Jesus do in this situation? And so in the 90s, it was kind of a recreate. You know, sometimes great songs came out in the 70s or 80s, and then in the 90s and 2000s, they redo them. It's the same thing. We've been doing this for a long time. And in the story or in this, in this what Jesus is communicating, it's not just like this is the rule and don't cross the line. But one of the things that should be in our mind is like, how would Jesus handle the situation? I don't like cliches and I don't want to encourage us to all go to Amazon and buy bracelets again like we did in the 90s. Okay, well, I didn't buy them on Amazon in the 90s, but you know what I mean. We don't want to, we don't want to recreate that for the sake of vanity, but we want to ask the question like, there was some really good truth to those bracelets. Like, how am I, how should I be handling this life? It's not about, am I breaking the Ten Commandments? But the better question is like, how did Jesus handle these situations? 
What is the, the way that Christ would have handled these things? I think sometimes we've fallen into, into a trap of asking the question, am I cry, crossing the line? When the reality is we should be asking a better question, that is, am I making God happy in the way I'm responding? Am, am, am I pleasing? Maybe not even happy is the right word, but is my action response, and, and even better yet, is my thought pleasing to God? I think that's a good, good line for us. Now, he doesn't stop here, and we'll take just a couple of minutes because that's what we have left. He doesn't stop here in this, and he goes a little bit further to talk about the nature of how we should respond when we have been living to those things of like right to the line. Maybe that place of, well, I didn't kill them, or I didn't steal from them, or I didn't lie to them, those sorts of things. And he goes on in Matthew chapter 5. These are the very next words, the next two verses. It says, therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Hmm. I had a colleague one time who was getting ready for ordination, and getting ready for ordination in the Nazarene church is a big deal. You don't go to ordination.com for that one, okay? I know some of you have been, officiated to, to, or have been uh, officially given permission to officiate weddings because you went to ordain.com and you got some piece of paper. We are not the same, all right? This is a long process, not an, an application online, and then you pay your 20 bucks and you're done. And so he's getting ready for the long process. <coughs> And yet he had confided that there was significant um, failure and mistake in his existing life within those, those months. And so in a conversation, there was discussion between several of us and some of his trusted confidants. And we sat around talking and made the decision, like, man, wouldn't ordination mean more if you spend a bit of time in restitution, in, in, in making things right, so that when you came to the floor of an assembly and someone in our church puts their hands on your head and prays over you and symbolically ordains you in the church of the Nazarene, wouldn't it mean more having cleared those things up than walking to that altar with still a heavy burden on your shoulders? Not that we went there with some ultimatum of we're going to wreck your life and tell everybody. Not even close. Not even in our thoughts. But uh, man, when, I, when you come to that place of ordination, it should be good, pure, clean, you know, nice. There's a bit of a challenge in this. And I know there's caveats to this and Sometimes people remain mad whether you try to straighten things up and maybe you've tried to straighten things up and it didn't work. What, okay, like leave all that at the side for just a moment. Those are the gray areas we can talk about. But generically speaking, we are guilty sometimes of not committing murder, but allowing ourselves to still be in such anger and malice towards someone else. And then we walk into this space as if everything is okay. And maybe where the Holy Spirit is prodding or poking us this morning is you have walked into a space exactly like what Jesus is talking about here. And you've done so in such a way that there is still such anger and malice in your heart that you really need to go straighten those things up. I'm I'm not saying right now that like you need to just get up and leave the sanctuary, but I'm going to tell you what, it would be a very holy move if you felt so moved. Okay, it would be okay. And as a matter of fact, it probably should be represented not with I wonder what they did, but applause and thank you for living that out in front of us, that you've been so convicted that like, I'm not taking this another moment. I'm going to go handle this. I'm just saying that's how sincere and real this is. And so my question for you is this, as we read Jesus speak about, I challenge you with the inadequacies of the Ten Commandments, as Jesus is speaking toward those things about those next steps of what it means to live a holy life, are there those places that you need to clean up your thoughts, that you need to clean up the the way that you allow those thoughts to develop in your heart? And are there those places where maybe there needs to be a bit of a conversation or an attempt or maybe even a re-attempt at making things right? I can't tell you exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying in this moment, nor should I ever try. Amen? This is where the Holy Spirit does the Holy Spirit's work. The Word of God has been proclaimed, and now the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and mind in saying, where should I work at not towing that line any longer? God, we come before you this morning regretful 
and sorry for the moments, the spaces, the places, and the scenarios that we have towed that line while taking a bit of pride and solace in having not crossed it as if that were the goal in the first place. God, forgive us of the times that we have allowed ourselves to maybe not cross those lines, but we have teetered the lines of lying and stealing and adultery and even teetered the lines of murder. God, when we think about standing at those lines, would you remind us that those rules were not set for somewhere for us to camp out on the border, but God, they were confirmed and defined lines to have never crossed, and even more so were written in such a, in such a heartbeat and a thought that those lines would remain so far in the distance we didn't even know where the line was. This morning, God, as you have likely prodded, convicted, spoken to us, we pray that you would send us back into this life to have better control of our thoughts and where we let our mind go. For that, God, we give you praise and we thank you. We thank you for being the God who looks at us and so beautifully and gracefully and lovingly says, there's still work to do. And for that, we give you praise. We love you and we thank you. It is your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.